0: everybody hey everyone i'm stephanie and i'm sarah and this is dead
1: time stories
0: a weekly podcast where sarah and i get together to talk about ghost stories true crime mysteries cults conspiracies the supernatural paranormal or even just the generally weird eerie spooky strange stuff that we want to talk about that week
1: why is that sarah oh that's because it's our show and and not not yours (sighs) we did it we have a live show we did the damn thing last night and it went swimmingly. I know. And <laughs>
0: us sitting here recording it, it hasn't happened yet. But you know what? Don't tell them that. I know that it was amazing.
1: This is podcast magic. And as far as I know, we did that show last night, and then we we got up to these microphones to record another show for them today because that is how dedicated the level we are. Of we're at for you. Sure. If it's your first time listening to the show,
0: stop. Stop. Go, Go back, back to the back. beginning. Listen from the beginning. Stop. 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 Yeah. Because okay. then
1: you would realize that we did a live show last night. Like in a few and there's weeks. There's a lot.
0: Okay. There's a lot going on. And it'll be up
1: maybe by the time that you uh catch up. <laughs> catch up. It was wonderful. Thank you so much to everyone who came out, who saw us, who live streamed in. And you know what? The candles we made this past weekend are awesome. They're amazing. They're so good. They smell so good. They burn <laughs> so bright. Like a diamond. Right, like a diamond.
0: Smells so good. I made some that smell like rose jam from Lush. It smells just like it. I made a ghost fart one. I'm so happy for your ghost fart. Thank you. That one was awesome.
1: It's crazy what a ghost fart I know, smells like. I
0: know, but now I know.
1: Now <laughs> you know. You can't ever take it back. <laughs> Anything going on? Uh, you know, I'm. we're still just working on training Larry, our little layer bear. Little Larry boy. Little Larry boy. And, you know, trying to save money. And um, you know, probably in real life, I will have watched that episode of Animal Planet the Haunted, but I don't have anything to say on it right now. Because I was I haven't. Uh,
0: see, I'm I thought excited. you were going to tell me how you felt about it because we're telling
1: everybody how great our it's live show is. It's going to be fantastic. I think that great. it'll when be you,
0: when you watched it already. It'll
1: be the next uh, bonus content we do will be called "What That Ghost Do with Animals." <laughs> Animal Planet's "The Haunted" and the answer
0: is monkey research. Better than test smallpox. They did more than what Zach does. Smallpox vaccine in their guillotine hole in the wall. That was yeah. That was straight up barbaric. You would
1: want that hole in the wall to be used for something else. Woof! My goodness, but it's not as used for monkey heads. Okay, (laughs) you want to keep talking about it? (laughs) Those poor monkeys. Did I
0: even show you the wristband we got? You do. She's still wearing it two weeks later. She was so moved. I'm never taking she it off. She was so moved by the candle shop. I'm never
1: taking it off. You know, when you were a kid and you would go somewhere like a festival. I still do it. You would never take it off. I until still it try. Off. Yeah, I still try to leave this. Okay, on so then why are you giving me off. shit? This is from The Haunted Candle Shopping. Yeah, when you shoppy. went two weeks ago. I know. It's still there. I got the phone number on
0: just in case I need to call if I have questions. I was going to say, if somebody finds you, they're like, if lost, We got to call The Haunted Candle Shopping. If found, found please return to The Candle shoppy.
1: Um, Excuse me. The, the haunted, haunted Candle, candle shoppy. I hid it in my sleeve so you wouldn't see it
0: before recording. <laughs> I love that for you.
1: Where's my button? I need to put it on.
0: Well, if you want some <laughs> some candles not made from the candle shoppy, but made by the hands of me and Sarah from this past weekend,
1: no animal cruelty involved nope. in ours. Uh
0: that's true. There's no animal cruelty. It <laughs> is. Uh, it's a soy wax. It's a vegan soy wax.
1: Though we did just like throw a monkey in a creek in honor that of. had nothing
0: to that had nothing to do with the candles. that's
1: because Val was out of town and you just wanted to go crazy I, I know I
0: was like I'm gonna go wild this week like, I'm throwing a monkey
1: in a creek Val in honor of uh, Dr. Fisher
0: Val went to New Orleans that's where they were this past weekend I, I say this past weekend it's called you know I know um but yeah Val uh, went to New Orleans their best friend's bachelorette party Like weekend in New Orleans, that's how I was going. Tearing it up, so yeah, I was like, I'm gonna get fucked up. I'm gonna have a weekend to myself. I'm gonna get crazy. I'm gonna make candles, eat Domino's, all the stuff that that, would be like, (laughs) come on,
1: I don't want to do that.
0: Um, But yeah, I'm gonna fuck it up. It's gonna be a good time. It I mean, it a was good a good time. time. It was a great time. I changed this is my hard. life.
1: Let, we cannot handle this past You and have to understand, ten.
0: I'm like Dr. Manhattan from The Watchmen. I'm living all of my life simultaneously. So sometimes time is a little wonky for me when I'm trying to remember when it happened for you, okay? Because I'm already experiencing it all right now at the same time.
1: Did you get that? Do you understand what she just said? Because I don't. <laughs> it's
0: from it's The Watchmen.
1: Okay, um... <laughs> okay, next segue. Uh... <laughs> it
0: was, it was... <laughs> So it was a graphic novel, and then they made a movie of it when I was in college. I and, mean, no, I know. And I now saw the there's movie because
1: there was a blue penis
0: everywhere. Well, now that, that's Dr. Manhattan. I know. I got that. You but said just, you didn't. I
1: understood the premise of it. It was just interesting to hear you explain timeline things to the listeners as we were getting tripped up on our past and present tense.
0: So, yeah. Well, that's his whole thing, is that he lives... All of his life at this, it's all simultaneous. That's why he doesn't bother with clothes. He, fuck them. He's like, what? What why does it would matter? It? What is it going to matter? You yeah, already saw my, my ting ting. dick. You just don't remember because it's now for you. It's now for me. It's already happened. So just look at it again. So just look at it. Look at my ting ting. I'm Billy Crudup, and I'm the one who said that Mastercard was for everything that wasn't priceless.
1: Sign. Look at my ting ting. Did you know that? <laughs> I don't think I knew that it was Billy Crudup. Do He's you know a Mastercard guy? I have a playbill from the first show that I ever saw on Broadway and he was the only actor from that show that signed it. What show was Billy it? Billy Crudup. Oh, Waiting for Godot. Oh. <laughs> but it had Sir Patrick Stewart, Sir Ian McKellen, Billy Crudup and some other guy.
0: What a what a cast for that. Oh, it
1: was beautiful. I mean, I don't like that show, but I think have. I've I also shed never heard anyone
0: pronounce it that way, but that's okay. You You, you hear do Waiting for Godot. Godot.
1: I mean, it just depends on who you talk to. Sure, It, it sound I like don't your fancy. like this show.
0: I don't either. I don't like any Beckett. That is Beckett, isn't it? I think so. So is Endgame. Yeah. <gasps> this is some real deep theater. This is it this is. is real niche right now. It is. <laughs> We've lost we flossed you, to I'm get sorry. There. Anyway, we're gonna bring it back. We're gonna bring you it you back. Bring it back. Hey, Sarah. We... Uh, uh, oh, uh, oh, did you have other banter? No. Okay. Hey,
1: Sarah. Uh, hey, Stephanie. Hey, Leslie,
0: y'all ready to talk about some ghosts?
1: Y'all ready to talk about some ghosts? Stephanie, what are you talking about this week?
0: So in the same vein of last week and talking about just weird stories, but yet at the same time different.
1: All right. right. Um, And now for something completely different. I'm
0: going to go over some super strange headlines and their stories from... These are actual stories that were printed in the New York Times. Most of them are the late 1800s, early 1900s. I think the latest one is from like 1925. Oh, interesting. Most of them are headlines. And then like the stories are are pretty short, but there's like a little stack of them. And one of them, I'm going to make sure I read you that one last because it's my favorite. But it has a great picture to go with it. I love it. Uh, Similarly to... My story about dog suicide bridge. Yes, where I was like, whoever made this, pic- who did this? <laughs> because this is not this actually happening. Uh, so I can't wait to to share so a picture excited. with you right, about go. the final one. So here we go
1: well, crazy shit happened in the 18 and 1900s Uh
0: so again these are real stories or headlines that were posted uh, and shared in the New York Times between you know the late 1800s early 1900s so the first one we have is February 7th 1904 mm-hmm. the headline is couldn't lose dead cat commuter carried victim and guilty secret to New York what <laughs> East Orange New Jersey and I kind of I debated whether or not I wanted to use the old timey voice (laughs) like couldn't lose dead cat. Commuter carried victim and guilty secret to New York, East Orange, New Jersey, February 6th. A New York businessman who lives in East Orange and is something of a pigeon fancier recently lost several of his finest birds through the (laughs) depredations of vagrant cats. So did he murder the cat? A few days ago, the losses became so heavy that he armed himself with a gun and lay in ambush one afternoon when he returned from the city. Stop. After a wait, he saw a lean cat emerge from the coat with one of his finest pigeons in its mouth. He fired and the cat fell dead. In the early transports of his joy at having destroyed the thief, he forgot that there was yet a task for him to perform, but soon recollected that the body must be disposed of. First, he thought of digging a hole in the backyard and interring the cat therein. But then he trembled when he thought his neighbors might think he was burying. At last, a bright idea struck him. I'll wrap the cat in papers and throw it off the ferry boat when I cross in the morning, he promised himself. So, with the bundle neatly tied, he took to the train on the following morning. He got off the train and boarded the boat, and there he was greeted by a group of friends for whom he could not escape. He reflected that he might have to make embarrassing explanations if he threw the bundle overboard while he was with them. And he deferred the act until the boat landed, thinking he could easily cast it away in an ash barrel on the way to the office. Oh, my gosh. He passed several ash barrels on the way, but somehow or other someone always seemed to be gazing in his direction when he approached one. And once or twice he saw a watchful policeman. He collected how unpleasant discoveries had been made in ash barrels, and he didn't want to be arrested on suspicion. So he went all the way to the office and carefully locked the body in a closet. No. Reflecting he could throw it overboard on his way home. Going across the river that night, he met some more sociable acquaintances. Of course. And the cat boarded the train with him as a result. He laid the package down beside him and tried to become absorbed in his paper. But when that everlasting cat haunted him, when he reacted, (laughs) when he reached his station, he picked up a package and went home. Reaching there, he handed the bundle to the cook and said, as indifferently as he could, told her to bury the cat in the backyard. Yes, sir, said the woman. There were a few minutes of relief for the East Orangeite, but soon the cook reappeared. I guess there's some mistake, sir. (gasps) This isn't a cat in the paper. It's a nice leg of mutton.
1: No! Who got the
0: cat? The man had evidently picked up the wrong bundle on leaving the train. Oh, no! And he only hopes that the fellow who reached home with a dead cat doesn't learn his identity. Stop it. Now, I gotta ask before I continue... Does the voice add to or take from? I
1: feel like the voice is good for the headlines, but when we get to okay. the story.
0: Okay, I'm glad I, I asked. might be better, yeah. Okay. August nineteen, 19- <laughs> August 22nd, 1925, Pancake Loving Turtle, a family heirloom, kidnapped from his home he's visited for years.
1: No! <laughs> Not the turtle. He loves pancakes.
0: Brookhaven, Long Island, August 21st. Mrs. Edward Rainer's pet turtle, which came to her back door every night in spring and summer for four years to get pancakes, made by a recipe known to her family for 200 years, has been kidnapped! No! And advertised as lost in the current issue of the Brookhaven Advance. (laughs) Mrs. Rainer, like many other persons of Brookhaven, has made a pet of turtles, especially those which had the initials of her ancestors carved on their shells. And when this particular turtle which had a large bee on his back, came to her house four years ago. She knew he had been a pet of the Bartow family, her ancestors who settled here two centuries ago. And she took pains to make him welcome. The turtle, a large fellow, immediately showed a fondness for the Bartow pancakes. At first, he ate only what (laughs) what the Rainer cat had left. But then, after Mrs. Rainer saw how much he liked them, She made special batches of batter for him alone and set them out on a plate at the back door.
1: Every morning,
0: he would waddle to the house and get them, except during strawberry blossom time when Mrs. Rayner knew he was getting sustenance in the strawberry beds. This would continue until early fall when, with the first cold snap, the turtle would disappear somewhere into the earth to hibernate for winter. But a week or so ago, after the turtle had gotten his pancakes and waddled off again to whatever turtles do when not eating pancakes, Mrs. Rainer saw an automobile stop. What? A man reached down to the earth, lifted something into his car, and drove away.
1: He got... he wasn't just missing. He got turtle snatched. It said kidnapped. Yeah. The next
0: day and the next, the day afterward, the turtle did not come to the Rainer back door he, for his pancakes. He's
1: he on got turtle napped.
0: Then Mrs. Rainer inserted the following advertisement in the Brookhaven advance. Lost. If this notice comes to the man who took the turtle, will he please return him to Mrs. Edward Rayner, who fears he will miss his pancakes and also will never be able to find his way back to his winter location. I want only to know that the turtle is well off, said Mrs. Raynor. today. If the man doesn't want to return him, I'll be glad to send him a recipe for the pancakes. No! I'm afraid the turtle will miss them and be unhappy. a
1: oh, precious little lady. Precious little lady. Did she ever get her turtle back? No one knows! I don't know. Oh no, pancake turtle.
0: March 15th, 1904. Wife returned after having fine funeral. Uh Then Valente learned he had buried the wrong woman.
1: Great.
0: Asked city to pay the bill. (laughs) Insist that Moig Keeper persuaded him against his judgment as to identify the body. Declaring that the city falsely notified him that his wife was dead and saddled him with the expense of a funeral for a strange woman, Ignacio Valente, who lives at 311 East 16th Street, had filed a bill for $250 against the city. The auditing bureau of the finance department now has it in its charge. Valente is an Italian, and about six weeks ago, he quarreled with his wife, Angelico, over the way she cooked macaroni. As a result of the quarrel, the wife left the Valente home, declaring she would rather die than return. Well, and she almost did. When Valente's rage had cooled down, he became worried over his wife and started a search for her, reporting her loss to the police. He gave a careful description of the woman. And finally, on being notified that the body of a woman answering the description was at the morgue, he went there, accompanied by his two-year-old daughter. He identified the clothing of the dead woman as having belonged to his wife, but when shown the body, said he declared it had been changed. They all change after death, said the mortician. What? This woman was better looking than my wife, Valente says he declared. No! Death beautifies them all, the morgue man is said to have replied. Shut up. Smothering his doubts, Valente says he had the body brought to his home and then, in response to an old request made by his wife, got out the wedding dress used by Mrs. Valente and had the strange woman attired in
1: it. Oh, my God. So she came home from a fight, and not only did he think she was dead, he took her wedding dress and and put it on a dead lady and buried her in it.
0: The funeral was held, and Valente footed the bills, he declared. That man is about
1: to be dead. His wife is going to murder him.
0: Notice of the event was published in the Italian papers, and the real Mrs. Valente, reading it, started post-haste for her home. Valente, on arriving home, discovered that the real Mrs. Valente, rummaging about for her wedding dress, what has become of it, she demanded when Valente entered. Why, I buried you in it three days ago, Valente, in his surprise, replied. Real trouble followed this, and when Valente had satisfied himself, it was the real wife who stood before him, and that he had buried the wrong woman, he could only restore peace by promising to buy his wife another wedding dress, just like the one in which the strange woman was buried. Oh, no. Now he demands that the city pay him $100, which he spent for the funeral for the wrong woman. $40 $40 for the wages lost through grief and because of illness that following the shock of finding his wife alive and $110 for the bridal costume, which he had placed on the corpse and with which some he desires to buy a new gown for the real of a day. He asserts that he never would have accepted the body of the other woman whose identity still is unknown
1: if the morgue owner hadn't been known unless that's the her. morgue
0: keeper had forced him to believe that it was the body of his wife.
1: No, she always looks like that. <laughs> That's just what she looks like.
0: March 14th, 1909. Lazy man in bed for 10 years. Mumcra not sick, but refuses to get up. Lives at Country Farm. <laughs> Jerseyville, Illinois. March 13th. The laziest man in the world lives mm-hmm. in this village. His name is John Mumcra, and he's been in this bed for 10 years because he is unwilling to comply with the rules of the Jersey County Farm which say that everyone living here shall rise at 5 a.m.
1: Well, okay. All <laughs> right. You know what? I I agree. I understand what he's doing.
0: Mumkra is not sick. He eats regularly is in his, and is in perfect health. I'm ready to hold up my hand and swear that he's kept his word, says Superintendent Morning of the Country Farm. John has been in this bed for 10 years, and he says he will stay there the remainder of his life. <laughs> He just lies there and looks up at the ceiling or rolls over once in a while and takes a nap. When he talks, it's all about how foolish a man it is to get up every morning when he knows he'll have to get back in bed at night.
1: Stop it. You've got to be kidding me. (laughs) This man, he just lies there. I think I have four more.
0: And again, none of them are very long. April 21st, 1896. Flatbush has a ghost. It's returned for his hand, which Mr. Norton dug up. The old town of Flatbush, now the 29th Ward of Brooklyn, which is funny because I'm like now Flatbush is like, Flatbush is like with, fuck, what's the one you always hear people talking about? Williamsburg in Brooklyn. It's like where Mm -hmm. all the hipsters are. The old town of Flatbush, now the 29th Ward of Brooklyn, has a ghost. A Simon Pure sure, sure enough ghost that nightly walks on East Broadway near Nostrand Avenue and stops at the house of Charles Norton to make inquiries for a hand that it lost there many years ago while its restless spirit was in the flesh. These visits are not fully appreciated by Norton or his wife. I'm sure they're not. But it appears that Norton is to blame for the appearance of the ghost because his ghost ship was not heard of until Norton, while searching for gold in his cellar, dug up a hand that had laid undisturbed for years.
1: Well, now you did it.
0: There was a ring on one of the fingers of the exhumed hand, and when it had been rubbed, the ghost in the true Arabian Nights fashion appeared and as it failed to get instructions from Norton, it is now said that all at once is the hand and the ring, that thereafter it will cease worrying the descendants of the early Dutch in Flatbush. The story that the old Dutchmen in the town tell of the ghost is that sixty years ago, a belated traveler with lots of gold in his belt stayed overnight at the farmhouse of one Krug, a thrifty Dutch farmer. Krug, when he heard of the large amount of gold that this visitor had about him, gave up his own room to the stranger and insisted that he should occupy it. The next day, the visitor disappeared, and when the family asked Krug about it, he said the man had departed before daybreak. The bed clothing was also missing. And Uh and Krug accounted for this by saying he had burned it because the stranger had just recovered from an attack of yellow fever. Subsequently, a man's hand was found behind the bed. It had been cut off by Krug with an axe, it is said. When the hand was found, Krug disappeared, and the hand was buried. Mrs. Norton, in speaking of this and its uncanny ghost visits, said the house was haunted and continued, "'Everybody who has lived here since the murder was done under this roof has had bad luck. One man who occupied the house about 40 years ago left his wife and children and ran away with another man's wife. Another was a burglar, and he was caught a whole lot of silverware who was found buried in the cellar. Another committed suicide.' We've been here for six years now. There's been nothing but sickness in our family. I don't like to talk about these things. It sends a chill down my back. Norton, while hunting for the silverware, supposed to be buried in his cellar, dug up two rusty revolutionary swords and several pieces of ancient coin before the hand was unearthed. December 25th, 1913. Santa dies on Xmas trip. What? Struggle through snow to poor boy's home fatal to Mr. Heap.
1: No. Denver. Santa. De- December
0: 24th. A little crippled Wilbur Harris, eight years old, is to have a Merry Christmas, but his Santa Claus is dead.
1: What? That's it, the writing? That's the way the article is written? It was
0: W.H. Heap, a philanthropist who came to Denver from Patterson, New Jersey because stricken with tuberculosis... Who made possible the salvation of the Christmas time myth for Wilbur? Mr. Heap's death came so he came from New Jersey to pretend to be Santa. Mr. Heap's death came yesterday because ignored his physician's order to remain in bed and walked several blocks through deep snow in the impoverished section of the city. He carried a sled, a tray of toy cars, clothes, rubbers, candy, and many other presents for the destitute Harris family. Mr. Heap learned that Mrs. Harris, in desperation, had told her little boy that there was no Santa Claus for poor children. Oh, no! He rose from his bed and in his automobile drove to the shopping district where he himself made the selection of gifts for the family. The automobile could not penetrate the deep drifts of snow in the lower part of town. So Mr. Heap, staggering under his burden, walked to the Harris door two blocks away, leaving the gifts with the mother, and said... The sled will do the boys a lot of good. I think if he can get it out in the open with plenty of warm clothes, he may be cured partially of his ailment. God's open air is the best thing we have anyway. And then he died. A violent coughing spell seized the philanthropist, who was half carried to his motor car by Mrs. Harris. He was hurried home and specialists were summoned, but it was too late. He was dead. Oh,
1: no. I don't. I hope she didn't tell her kid that Santa died. Santa died because he tried to bring you presents even though we're poor. Santa brought you these presents even though we're poor, but don't like them because you know what the cost is? Santa died. Santa died. June 27th,
0: 1937. Monster of Loch Ness now raising a family. (laughs) Scotland's Loch Ness Monster. Good for her. London, June 26th. It seems there's not merely one, but there are two Loch Ness monsters, and they've produced a litter of Loch Ness baby monsters. D.B. Wedge, a science teacher at the boys' school attached to the Benedictine Abbey of Fort Augustus, which stands at the head of Loch Ness, told the Sunday Express that he had not seen the baby monsters, but several of his pupils had, and the baby monsters were three feet long. Mr. Wedge deplored the sensationalism of reports and suggested the use of a driving bell to explore underwater caverns, where, fed by warm springs, the last survivors of prehistoric monsters still contrived to exist.
1: Only in Scotland.
0: (laughs) Only in Scotland. I have two more.
1: Ooh. We're getting close to to the final one. To my favorite one. September 23rd, 1898. Ghost moved
0: macaroni. God. Don't they learn anything about the macaroni? Prayers will be said today to lay a restless West Orange spirit. Orange, New Jersey. Again, A lot of these are in Jersey. Prayers will be said tomorrow morning in the church of St. Michael the Archangel in Matthew Street. This city to lay a ghost which is driving the Italian residents of White Street West Orange into superstitious frenzy. Ghostly wrappings, hand clappings, and other supernatural de- demonstrations have been heard and experienced since Monday in the store and rooms occupied by Frank Petro and family, who keep a grocery store in one end of a big frame te- tenement house just across the Orange Line. It was in this house that Peter Cristiano was stabbed by Lorenzo Corbo, an old organ grinder at a New Year's Eve party eight months ago. The neighbors assert that the ghostly demonstrations are caused by the restless spirit of the murdered man. Father de Aquila, pastor of the Church of St. Michael, was called in last night. He prayed and sprinkled holy water in the rooms where the noises were heard. While he was in the house, there were no demonstrations, but as soon as he had left, the noises recommenced with the redoubled frequency and violence. Petro, who is a big, hardy man of intelligence and appearance, says he does not believe in ghosts, but does not know what else to think. At midnight last night, he declares, he heard a noise as if the front doors of his store, which were fastened with a heavy bar set in staples, had been thrown wide open and the bar flung to the floor. He tried to get out of bed to investigate, but was held down by some invisible power, which pressed upon his chest and made it impossible for him to move. The presence remained for an hour, he says. The store doors were locked as usual this morning, but a box of macaroni, which had been placed upon a top shelf, stood on the floor in the middle of a room with a handful of long straws lying across the top in the form of a cross. Of course. A Times correspondent heard the noises tonight and made a thorough investigation of the rooms in the cellar without ascertaining their cause. Samuel Cristiano, a brother of the murdered man who keeps a saloon on the next block, is convinced that the presence is that of his brother's spirit. He says he went last night into the room where most of the noises are heard and begged the spirit to make itself visible. It did not. But as he rose from his knees, after praying, three unusually loud knocks sounded just under the place where he had been standing. Petro and his family say they have not slept in three nights.
1: Were they petrified?
0: They went out to stay with the friends tonight and intend to move out of the house tomorrow. Tenants in the other end of the house have heard nothing of the noises. This is just, I'm just going to read you this headline, but then I'm going to read you the last story. Okay. This one headline. June 18th, 1932. Goat is still goat despite magic right. (laughs) Psychic investigators failed to change it into a young man and misty German peak. Damn. (laughs) But the last story that I'm really going to read you. Ooh. September 14th, 1899. Parrot was a gas fiend. At last killed his owner by tearing off burner while she slept. What? Washington D.C. September 13th. Alice Knight, 23, or sorry, Alice not 23 years old, of 803 12th Street, came to her death yesterday through the instrumentality of her pet parrot. She
1: was murdered by her pet parrot,
0: an evil-dispositioned bird who was cordially detested by everybody except <laughs> his mistress, but who seemed to have a strong affection for her. He would follow her from room to room and was never happy except in her presence. He was generally regarded as a devil by (laughs) by the neighbors (laughs) and as a bird of ill omen. His unpopularity was increased by an uncanny habit of pulling the tips off of the gas burners with his strong beak and inhaling the gas until it stupefied him.
1: Oh, my God. He's a little stoner. He was a
0: gas fiend. (laughs) a feathered victim of his gas habit while his young mistress was sleeping yesterday the parrot he had to
1: get his fix
0: the parrot took off the lava tip in her room and started on a gas debauch (laughs) this time there was no him no one near him in her room to avert the consequences of his deed when miss knots relatives alarmed by her long silence broke open the door they found her dead her little murderer was found half-unconscious by the door. When he found himself succumbing to the gas and was not rescued by the usual of his mistress, he realized that something was wrong and had wit or instinct enough to make for the door and shove his bill as far as he could
1: underneath wow. it. Wow! So he survived, but he made sure his mom died.
0: He recovered, and while the coroner was in the house, the malignant little bird was caught trying to turn the gas on again.
1: Well, now he's like, my mom's dead. I'm ready to kill myself. I kill myself. Now, the reason I say this this story, for I gotta last see the picture,
0: is because there's a picture.
1: I gotta see this.
0: Now, what I want to say about the picture is again. I thoroughly doubt this is actually a picture of the culprit. Yeah. I think that this is a stock image. But the stock image that they chose to put with Uh, this is the story. Here you go. I'm just going to hand you my iPad.
1: What? He's got a little cane. So
0: this is like a little, he's he's a parrot and he's like in a pinstripe suit. He's in a suit that has arms on it. He's got a little, he's got a fancy he's little, a little hat. Top hat. He looks like he's got a chain for a pocket watch.
1: Yes, he's definitely got a tie that has a tie clip on now, it. Now this is
0: a real parrot. This is not a drawing of a parrot in a co- in an outfit. This is a real picture of a parrot in a tiny little suit. And I don't think that this was the parrot with the gas problem.
1: This can't be. I mean, no. If his owner dressed him up like this on a frequent basis, then yes, he probably has a gas problem.
0: But this bird, the picture of this bird, was just everything to me. Like the way I laughed when I saw
1: that is hilarious. Oh my god!
0: Bird and his little fucking cane. So silly. So. Anyway, those are my wild stories. That are again; these were all stories that were actually printed in the New York Times.
1: Real life is wild. Real life is crazy. That's so silly. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. Sarah, what are you talking about this week? Oh, let me get re-situated. All right, Stephanie. It's one of our favorite topics. I know that you know about essential oils.
0: <laughs> Ooh. But what, we made candles with fragrance oils this past week, but not essential oils, because they're essential. not really good for candles.
1: What do you know about Young Living? Ha! Ah! Excuse me. Just as an
0: MLM, I know like there's probably some controversy around the guy who's the leader and what he said you could use essential oils for.
1: Girl, is there ever controversy yeah. about this man? Yeah. Uh- <laughs> Is there ever? That's all that I'm talking about is him. Good. And then there's another guy who he is not,
0: I don't think he's technically involved with Young Living. He's just another essential. Are you specifically talking about Young Living today?
1: I am specifically talking about the founder of Young Living. Okay. I was going to say there
0: is this other guy who he's, he's a, I can't even remember if he's a real doctor or not, but he. Is technically because he doesn't sell essential oils. This other person, who is not the guy from Young Living, but I, he still makes money from them. Because he himself is not actually selling essential oils. He is allowed to make these claims mm. about what essential oils do. Is
1: it the family that yes. they featured on that Netflix episode yes. about essential yes, yes, oils? Yes. 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 Um,
0: so he inadvertently still makes money because he makes money selling like recipe books and all yes. sorts of other shit about things you can do with essential oils. But he, but he does sell not actually the oils. sell them. Yes. And that's his like legal loophole. Yes. Um, but that, yeah, Young Living is crazy and the guy who founded it, it's crazy. Gotcha. But it's also an MLM. So, like, what are you going to yes, do? Yes, it is an MLM. It's going it, to, there's no way to escape it being
1: crazy. But I'm not even going to talk about the fact that it's an MLM. Wow. I am only talking about his name. Let me pull it. Up. I want to get it right. His whole name is Donald Gary Young. Okay. And I was going to say, I thought Young was his Young name. Young is his name. Mm-hmm. His, he, but he goes by Gary Young. Sure. All right. So let's dive in. Let's go. Now, this is true. Much of the oil sold in the U.S. comes from two companies, which are both based in Utah, one of them has more Mormon undertones than Young Living. Young Living is not as Mormony, but the other one is DoTerra. Yes, there we go. Those are your two Those big, are the two big MLM oils. Oils, yeah. And nine times out of ten, if you are getting an essential oil, it's probably from one of these two companies. It's hard to get away from it. You do. Uh, both of these companies will be like, "I made the most money this year. I sold the most oils this year. I had the highest selling oils." Sure. While there are cheaper oils, Walmart sells a kit of 16 therapeutic-grade essential oils. Young Living and doTERRA have built their brands on claims that they sell completely pure, naturally derived oils. Kirk Jowers, the vice president at doTERRA, said, They have Skittles. We have the real fruit. Stop.
0: Now, What a comparison to make.
1: Isn't it so dumb? Young Living, so a little bit about the MLM aspect because again that's not what we're getting into. We're getting into who the fuck is Gary Young and how did he create this thing that is now such a big yeah, a big part of essential oils. And I was going to say from my understanding even if you're
0: not buying from them, like Young Living is kind of behind the popularity of yes. essential oils within the United States.
1: Yes. Okay. Exactly. And they sell their product to chains like Target and Walmart. Mm -hmm. So even if you're going into the store, you're going to the essential oil section, you're seeing Young Living Mm -hmm. essential oils, but they are also an MLM. So Young Living divides its sales force into a complete hierarchy, stratified partly by sales volume ranging from a distributor, which is the lowest level, comprising of nearly 94% of its members are that lowest level. We all watch Lula Rich. To Royal Crown Diamond, which is less than one-tenth of one percent. Right. This is a quote from a diamond-level distributor. They said, Young living is freedom. It's spiritual freedom, relationship freedom, incredible financial freedom. Diamond-level distributors earn a medium income of $32,000. Those numbers are from 2017. I got that information from a New Yorker article. And, how often are they getting that much money? Monthly.
0: Monthly, right? Monthly yes. income yeah, of 32000 like, That's not an annual income.
1: That is a monthly income. Yes. Gary Young. Gary Young created Long- Young Living. Mm-hmm. The big claim to fame that Gary Young has is his origin story. Okay. This is what he sells. This is what he goes off to. Origin story. He grew up in Idaho, poor, in a cabin with... A dirt roof, no running water. In his early 20s, he was working as a logger when he had a terrible accident. A tree fell on him, fractured his skull, ruptured his spinal cord, broke 19 of his bones. How once he woke up from having a coma, the doctors told him he would never walk again. So then he tried to kill himself twice. But he didn't succeed, obviously. After doing these two suicide attempts, being told he'll never walk again, he decided He was going to fast. He was going to do nothing but drink water and lemon juice. After 253 days, he regained feeling in his toes. That he walks today is a miracle that defies medical prognosis, according to his biography. D. Gary Young, the world leader in essential oils, is the name of his biography, was written by his first wife and published by Young Living. So his origin story is I was I was raised a poor child logging and I had a tree fall on me. I was in the hospital. I was told I would never walk again. But once I started drinking water, lemon juice and I used some essential oils, mm-hmm. I was able to totally reverse my diagnosis. Sure. What's really interesting is there is no medical record record yeah I like there's a no record of that ever happened any to accident him. of that ever ever happening to him what a shit so that's his origin story okay now we're going to get into the timelines this is where i'm going to be kind of flipping through my notes because i did my notes differently today that's the noise so that the listeners know i did my work right she's got the pages she's I've flipping i've got the pages i'm flipping them all right so 1980s in 1981 he opened a clinic in Spokane Washington Right? Using a degree. He didn't have a real degree. She keeps doing quote fingers. I I love it. He opened a health center in Spokane, including birthing services. Oh, God. This is how I ended up finding him. Oh, God. One of the babies that he attempted to deliver was his own daughter. She died because he held that baby underwater for an hour after she was birthed. What? Yep. So they did an underwater birth in a whirlpool bath. And he apparently had this theory that babies can breathe through their umbilical cord. And so he held the child underwater for almost an hour. The death was ultimately ruled an accident. What the fuck? But the county coroner said the baby would likely have lived if she had been delivered under conventional conditions. Yep. That's awful. His wife was Donna Jean Young. That was his first wife who gave birth. And then lost the child because he held it underwater. Her and Gary Young then divorced the next year, September of 1983. Now later, that same following year of 1982, Young was approached by an undercover cop who inquired about, you know, uh, what do you what do you know about underwater births? Like, could, could you do an underwater birth for me? Could you could you do that? He immediately was like, oh, I 100% can do an underwater birth for you. I got that. And you know what? I can also cure your mom's cancer. He was arrested for practicing medicine when he shouldn't have been practicing medicine. But he only spent 60 days in prison with a year probation. That happens multiple times throughout this story. He gets arrested for malpractice, practicing when he has no license. But he just gets 30 days in prison, 60 days probation. Jesus Christ. Bullshit. So now, in 1985, he earned a master's degree in nutrition and later on went to earn a doctorate in naturopathy, both from Bernadine University. But Bernadine University is like Trump University. It's a fake college. It's a diploma mill. You pay the money and they send you your diploma. Sure. Sure. In 1986, he opened up another clinic in Tijuana, Mexico, using this degree that he earned from Bernadine Clinic that he paid good money for. God, I hate that. He scammed people out of large sums of money, claiming that he could bring a patient into remission if they stayed for three weeks in the clinic and paid $6,000. But for only $4,000 more, I can cure your cancer. But if you pay 6000 it's, so it's only remission. It's, it's only so remission. disgusting. Now, he had this clinic in Tijuana. So this one reporter said, you know what? I'm going to send in a blood sample. So what he said he could do is you could send in a blood sample for the low rate of $60. They would test your blood and tell you if you had cancer or not. But they had like a 99% success rate of everyone who sent in blood had cancer. So this reporter This reporter sent in a blood sample posing as a patient and he was told that it showed signs of aggressive cancer and liver dysfunction. However, it was uh blood from a chicken that did not have cancer. The health educator at the clinic told this reporter, "You have aggressive cancer. I recommend doing our $2,000 a week detox program." Oh my god. And when the reporter said, um, yeah, that came from a healthy chicken, chicken. she said, Oh no, that chicken is not healthy. That chicken, that chicken has cancer. That, that chicken probably has leukemia. Cancer. It did not. This came from a chicken. Well, that chicken has cancer. I don't know that what to tell you. That chicken has cancer. I don't know what to tell you, but that chicken has cancer. They're like, um. God damn it. Okay. So in 1994, he married his third wife, mm-hmm. the one that is still, you know, around today. Her name's Mary. She's a trained opera singer. And uh, in addition to his children from prior marriages, which is a total of eight children, he had two kids with Mary. Mm-hmm. He tried to do underwater birth with Mary, and Mary was like, No. no. Mary said, no, I'm not doing it. So now we are on to, we just finished 1986. Let's fast forward a little bit. Around the 1986 time, he met a French lavender distiller and grower at a Whole Life Expo in California. Okay. So this is where he started figuring oils. Like he sure. found the oils around this time. So he'd already been scamming people, saying, "I'm a doctor and I can cure you." Sure, sure, sure. But he couldn't cure them because he didn't know the essential oils yet. So now he mm-hmm. can cure you. Now, now can he's cure learning you he about knows the, oils, the right, oils. Right, 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 right. So. God, damn it. In 1994, he traveled to France to study distillation methods. He bought 160 acres of farmland in Idaho and planted peppermint, something else, and lavender. In 1994, he married Mary. And then in 1995 or 6, he also got a rundown building in Riverton, Utah, to use as the headquarters and beginning of Young Living Essential Oils. Even as they were building this building to begin the Young Living Essential Oils, it is said that Gary Young mixed in his abundance oil blend into the paint that he painted onto the walls. Jesus. He's real extra. (laughs) In 2000, he opened the Young Life Research Clinic in Springville, Utah, which administered essential oils and other alternative therapies to patients with heart disease, depression, cancer, amongst other conditions. Such a bullshitter. What's so fascinating about this clinic is this clinic, so that it could say that it was a real clinic, it did have a doctor. It had a licensed pediatrician named Sherman Johnson, who had just recently had his medical license reinstated. Oh, God. Why was it taken away? About a decade earlier, he had been investigated by the state medical board after a woman had died while he was treating her for cancer. You know why? Because she didn't have, have cancer. cancer. She was bipolar, or she had multiple personality disorder, but not cancer. They say that the doctor had believed her story that she had been injected with cancer by a group of witches and gay doctors. And that she died from an overdose of dimerol <sighs> administered god by Johnson. Damn it. Because Johnson was like, damn it. oh my god, you got infected with cancer by witches and gay doctors? The same thing happened to my cousin. No! Let me treat you. Turns out it wasn't that. Now, I also did some digging. <laughs> yes. I hate it so much. I also did some digging into him. And another thing I read said that, let me see if I wrote it down. I might not have. No, I didn't. But another thing I read said that it wasn't that this woman said she was infected by witches and gay doctors, it's that this woman and him were having an affair and she was doing all these drugs and she overdosed. And for him to try to not get in trouble, he was like, I was treating her for cancer. Oh my God. Either way, he pled guilty to manslaughter and a decade later, his... License was reinstated, and now he got to work at the Young Living fucking, Research Clinic. God damn it. I fucking hate everything about this. In 2005, a woman alleges that her time at the Young Research Clinic led to kidney failure. She had no kidney issues before her time at the clinic and claimed that Gary Young's treatments nearly caused her death. And they did because she didn't have anything wrong with her. Whew. Later on in 2005, after this woman came forward, Gary Young just closed his clinic in the middle of the day while clients were there. He was like, "Everybody out! Everybody out! It's closed!" and he ran off back to Ecuador. God. Now this whole time, he's still doing the Young Living MLM, and this mm-hmm. is taking over. It's the early oh, yeah. 2000s; people are loving that. So as Young Living grew, he, his craziness and his ego. Also grew, and apparently his spending became a major issue. At the company's showcase farm in Utah, he apparently built replicas of a Wild West town and a medieval castle. And he, dubbed as Sir Gary, would host (laughs) jousting tournaments. Sir Gary! In which he donned a suit of armor and he competed in jousting tournaments. Yeah, he did. But when he did that, he was Sir Gary Young. He had also plans drawn up for a $250 million theme park, a thing called, get ready, Mount Youngmore, and the theme park would feature jousting, a five-star hotel, and a mountain with Young's face etched on it. God damn Because, <laughs> you know, it's Mount Youngmore. No, of course. Uh, Gary Young apparently denied all of this, but... Mm. At this time in the early 2000s, David Sterling, Young Living's chief operating officer at the time, said that he was alarmed by a video he saw of Gary Young, whose only medical degree is a doctorate in neuropathy, naturopathy, from an unaccredited school. He was apparently performing gallbladder surgery and giving essential oils intravenously oh at the God. clinic in Ecuador. So at this point, David Sterling was like, okay, we're going to shift Young Living's focus away from fucking Gary Young, and we're going to move him, like, try to do it something else. But he was met with major resistance from Gary and from many of the distributors who felt this deep love for Gary Young and his wife, Mary.
0: Gary eventually
1: fired David Sterling, citing, among other reasons, the fact that Sterling just kept trying to push him out and wouldn't let him be in the magazine, the company magazine. (laughs) A spokesperson said that Sterling was let go for performance reasons. However, in an email that Young wrote, he said, Satan exercised dominion over you to the point where you started thinking that you had knowledge and ability greater than anyone else, including me, the creator of this company. Uh, Young declined to speak with the New Yorker who was writing this article, but the spokesperson said successful company founders are often cut from a different cloth than the rest of us, which is true of Gary Young and his pioneering cowboy spirit. Of course. In April of 2008, after being fired, David Sterling and several other former Young Living executives founded doTERRA. Oh my god. Yep. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Tiny other little tidbit about our good old Donald Gary Young and how again, he is not he's no medical practices, no license, not accredited. His name is Donald Gary Young, but he tends to go by D. Gary Young, so it looks like Dr. Gary Young. Sure. So to just unsuspecting people, it just looks like that. Isn't it so shitty? Another thing of while he was studying his nature pathy, he apparently also very briefly studied therapeutic massage at the American Institute of Physioregenerology, and he later claimed to have graduated from there until but he, but he they found out that he was lying mm-hmm. and he never got his diploma. And his excuse was that it was some sort of a typographical error. <sighs> According to the institute's founder, however, Gary didn't do any of his work there. He did a third of the homework and he still owed money and tuition. So, no, he does not have a diploma. The man was never accredited. Something else that I found is that apparently at one point in the early days of young living, he was fired after he was arrested another time for malpractice. And he was so mad, two days after he was fired, he went down to the Young Living office. He tried to enter the locked office by hitting the door with an axe. When he got in, he pushed his wife down the stairs, threatened his son and other Young Living employees with the axe, and he had to be escorted out by police. All the victims got restraining orders against him. And in a court in 1996, his kids were like, yeah, he abuses me. His mom was like, yeah, he abuses them and he abuses me too. And the court was like, "Mm, 60 days in jail and probation.
0: Oh, my God.
1: So Donald Gary Young is this piece of shit that founded Young Living. He does crazy things. They do, like most MLMs, they'll do those big events, big expos. And he has, I believe in the past, he's been driven in on a sleigh being pulled by huskies He will fly down from the ceiling at these events. It's all very big and grandiose. I hate it. But this man held his baby underwater for an hour because he thought that babies could breathe through their umbilical cord at birth.
0: But I'm also just,
1: what was, was he trying to prove something? Like, what was he trying to do? I don't know. Why why did he open these clinics in the first place when he doesn't know what he's doing? He's just a grifter. And as Ain't soon it. as he found the essential oils he was like this is my biggest That's grift. my thing and it has been his biggest grift now he later on as it came out the money he was spending he ended up stepping down from the company and now mary runs the company mm-hmm. and then you know god's timing is always right <laughs> he died in 2018 his wife mary announced that he died due to separation uh, due to complications from a series of strokes however his son, Sean, has come out and said that, no, his dad died from cancer. That wasn't healed by essential oils. Mm-hmm, because God's timing is always, always right. right. And God has a sense of humor. And you're going to sit here and tell people that if they pay you $6,000, you can put their cancer into remission. But for only 4000 more, I can cure it. Yeah, you best believe God's going to strike you down with cancer, son.
0: What a piece of shit.
1: So I stumbled upon this guy's story when someone posted in the anti-MLM subreddit that I follow saying that the newest CEO of Young Living is peddling this, like, fix yourself in seven steps program that is kind of an anti-Christianity message. And they're all up in arms about this. It's not Christian. But their original founder was a piece of shit. Did all of these awful things. And as soon as I, I the first comment I read was like, "Are we gonna forget about the fact that their first founder j- killed his baby?" And I said, "I gotta learn more. Fascinating.
0: That's fucking in an wild awful way. Awful,
1: yeah. So Donald Gary Young, D. Gary Young, founder of Young Living, was a piece of shit. And Young Living is an MLM founded by a piece of shit. Don't do it. Don't give your money to it. If you're gonna buy essential oils, do it from someone other than Young Living or DoTerra. I also did not know. That Doterra was founded by people who got fired from. I didn't living. know that. That was I didn't interesting. Know that part I was I'm like, what Jesus. is this? Pixar? <laughs> <laughs> so that's my story. That was a good one. That's my MLM. Well, I want to thank you all so much for supporting our podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. Of
0: course, you can uh, you can get merch from our website, DeadtimeStoriesWithAZ.com. Z- you can subscribe to our Patreon. You can email us, deadtimestories at gmail.com. Follow us on all of the social media things. But the most important, cheapest, freest thing that you can do is give us a five-star review on the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, or anywhere, anywhere, excuse me, where you listen to our podcast.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. We don't have any more live shows yet, but stay tuned for other things. That's
0: it, man. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sarah. And this is Dead Dead Time Stories. Stories. Thank you for listening. Dead Time Stories is hosted by Sarah Hedins and Stephanie C. Curtis. Music and editing by Eric Gershnow. Artwork by Rennie Slackman.